0: Bishop Caggiano takes on a small task today. He's just going to prove the existence of God. (laughs) Well, he's going to walk us through some of the better arguments for God's existence anyway. This is going to be good. Stay tuned on the radio at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM and on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. You can get the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship, and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, welcome back, everybody, to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano.
1: Steve, how are you, my friend? Excellency, I'm, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you for asking. It could be better, and it could be worse, right? I have my knee is acting up. Of course, oh, no. this is not this is not a a, a a pathetic plug for sympathy, but it's yeah. I mean, <laughs> and and the funniest thing is how it happened. Yeah, I I was at the supermarket. Mondays, my ritual Monday mornings uh-huh. to get my iceberg head of like five heads of lettuce, one for every day. That's lunch. i doing this for years, and in the supermarket where I go, they put all the fresh heads of lettuce all the way in the back of the counter. You know. So I dig for them, uh-huh. you know, because they gotta last a while, right? And I leaned, I put, I, I leaned towards the right, and I heard my knee something. It, it was. It's hard to describe either pop or crack. Oh boy! And my and my leg gave way. I oh. fell over. Oh my. So this woman standing next to me, she must have been saying, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. This guy is drinking already. It's kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got up and I could put the weight back and it was like, it was just hurt. And and the, the point is, it's been five five days yeah. and I've gone to the doctor. They did x-rays and everything seems initially to be okay. And yet it still is giving me major problems. It's oh, weird. Oh, boy.
0: Are you able to walk on it, Excellency?
1: Yes, it depend. It depends how I. Tw- it, actually, now because he gave me a cortisol shot, which you know is common, right? Like, yes, you know, yep. reduce inflammation. Uh, it doesn't hurt as much, but depending on how I twist, it's like somebody takes a dagger into oh, the boy. knee. And some t- once since it it actually my leg gave way again. Thank God I use a crozier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start using the crochet everywhere I go now. <laughs> it's like St. Athanasius. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, but but you see, all kidding aside, though, what's in the back of my mind is to say, why would that happen with no, like, I'm not playing basketball. I'm not running. I'm not. It's, it's strange. Isn't it strange? Yeah. yeah. So MRI next week, I think, is the doctor okay. said the next step. So we'll go from there. We'll see. Oh, it happens gosh. to the living.
0: Yeah. yeah. Right. It happens to the living. <laughs> oh,
1: and gosh. you? Uh,
0: thank God, I'm I'm healthy uh, right now.
1: <laughs> Good. So. Excellent. So, what do you want to talk about?
0: Yeah. I. You know. I, I'm intimidated by um, what may lie ahead in the next hour because Ooh. I am no philosopher. <laughs>
1: Well, neither am I to be honest. My philosophy days are long ago, <laughs> but but we, we had talked off offline about you know the famous proofs for God. yes, and how can you demonstrate the logical nature the logical reasonableness of uh, a belief in the existence of God? And you know, there was a time when there's always been that's always been a question, right? since Mm -hmm. uh, the dawn of of human reason. It takes on greater importance in our modern world because it's a very secular, atheistic world. So people are coming to the judgment that there is no reasonableness to believe in a God. And therefore, um, it is a topic worth. And it is a bit complicated. And the purpose of our conversation, I don't think is getting to all the complications. Because it's not the sort of thing where you're going to sit down at Starbucks and do a philosophical exposition with someone about the reasonableness of believing in the existence of God. Right. I mean, they will take their latte and go sit somewhere else. <laughs> <I> mean, <right? laughs> it's, not, it's not. It's more of a of, of a generic kind of where are the in the broader strokes? Can we talk about the reasonable All right. So yes. there was very interesting um, comment commentary I ran across as I was doing some, you know, some study of this. And it was. it's offered by a non-Christian, but I think it strikes the right tone for what we're going to talk about. And this is what this gentleman says. He says, if one does not believe in God, no proof is sufficient enough if one believes in God, no proof is required, okay? And I think there's a basic insight there that even if one could demonstrate, and I believe there is, there there are logical arguments to say that there is a first mover, there is a first cause, right? And astronomy and cosmology can can point that. It raises questions that don't have answers, right? Without the premising, a a, a first principle or first cause or first mover whom we would call God, right? I mean, that's obvious. But the interesting thing is there is a profound difference between saying I can demonstrate that a God exists. There's a difference between saying that and saying that this is the Christian God, the personal God, the God in whom we do believe as followers of Jesus Christ. That is a very different question. Now, why do I say that? I say that because we need to remember, as believers, and even if there are non-believers listening, that God has revealed who he is freely himself in Revelation. That he is, right, can be a logical premise. But that could be a deistic God. That could be an unknown God. That could be a God who is, you know, um, started everything and disappeared. No, no, no. We're talking about the Christian personal God. Yes. So what we know about God in our Christian faith is because God chose to reveal himself to us. And what's key to the revelation, his personal revelation? in the, in the Among our Jewish sisters and brothers, the fact that he revealed himself as a loving, merciful God, but a God who entered into a covenant with his people, a binding arrangement, a binding life with his people, that he would forever be their God, that he would forever love them and protect them. He would always lead them to greater life and asking them to be obedient and faithful. Right? It's like marriage. Covenant really is what we describe in marriage. So God reveals himself as a personal loving God freely, right? Through the prophets, through Moses, okay? It's only in Jesus Christ that we come to the more fundamental revelation, again, God doing this freely himself, that God is love, that God is a community of divine persons. So the mystery of who God is That he is actually an eternal, perfect, omniscient, omnipresent, everlasting, forever community of divine persons who are bound and who are the manifestation of love itself cannot be deduced by Mm -hmm. reason alone. Right. You either believe it or you don't. Now, I'm going to argue, in my quasi-philosophical stance here, I'm going to argue, if you don't believe it, you have an existential crisis. And the existential crisis is that that's how we, in fact, are. That is who we are in our own composition. What fulfills humanity is ultimately love and the community we form. That's why marriage is such a perfect, um, the marriage between a man and a woman is, is the fullness of the manifestation of the image and likeness of God, precisely because a man alone and a woman alone cannot do it, but a man and woman together do because they are together, not only faithful, but they're procreative and they are a community because God is a community. And the only reason we know all of this is because God took on human flesh. So God was both eternal in heaven and on earth. So how do you explain that? Right. And ultimately, that is what. So, so that's the bottom line. So that's why I think this saying that I started with is very important. Yes. Because if you do prove that God does exist, it doesn't go beyond that. Now, that doesn't move anybody to faith or action. Right. Right. It, it's kind of like a fact. Right. Okay. So, so far we're okay. Right. Yes, yes.
0: The key is so that now,
1: he, Tell
0: me the key is that uh, you can't just stop at the topic of this conversation of does he exist? It is that he exists and he revealed certain things about himself
1: which enlighten us with
0: revelations about ourselves as well.
1: And demand a response. Yes. Because if it's just the prime mover or the first cause or whatever else you want to say, that's could be quaint, could be nice, but like, what else does it demand? What else does? What a difference does it make? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. So, um, the five proofs that Saint Thomas Aquinas speaks of in the Summa. They echo um, a lot of philosophical conversation at, before it and after it and in a way that some of them are quite complicated but the bottom line is they're almost all cosmological meaning that you derive from the origin of the universe the structure of the universe that what you see around us to explain what exists you have to go back to either a cause or a mover or because how else would you, can you exist? What ex, explain what exists, right? In a way, in my mind and in my heart, and everybody knows I love astronomy, that is, in a way, an explanation of the angst that we spoke about when the, uh, the new telescope, right, the James Webb Telescope first came out. It really provoked in people who have never asked a question, is there a God? Mm-hmm. How did this actually come about in its beauty, its order, its structure? Now, it's not the universe is not placid. The universe is also violent. The universe has cosmic events of epic scales, galaxies crashing into each other, black holes where stuff goes in. We don't exactly know where it goes right, or what happens, but there's still an order to it and i've been reflecting since we decided to chat a little bit about this about why for young people who and maybe all people but young people who don't have a philosophical education oftentimes and many times do not are not raised in a religious environment now suddenly astronomy itself cosmology is raising the very question of whether or not there is a god
0: yeah
1: right And if I may add one other thing, and that is, just like God can, only God can reveal who he is in himself. When we look at the universe, at cosmology, we are only intuiting, we're concluding, we are are reasoning to the existence of God from the effects of God in the universe. Meaning, that if there's order who created it right if there's motion who started it if there's a point of we went from nothing to something who actually initiated that so it's the effects right of what's going on okay let's stop there what do you think so far
0: yeah yeah i'm um, i'm um... Uh, learning eagerly
1: taking notes no what learning I mean it's just but but (laughs) it's it but this is the sort of thing this apologetics yes we've been talking about truth beauty and goodness my philosophy is raise all these questions and people have to be uncomfortable because you can't escape the inevitable yeah so uh
0: yes so let's talk about Aquinas's five
1: ways and then there's um other stuff too Okay, so oh yeah, oh yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> I think there's actually more compelling than St. Thomas, to be honest. Yes. Right. So the first way is motion. Right? So to put it very simply, if I understand the argument correctly, is that a body, everything, is either in motion or potentially can go into motion. Right? Nothing can go from the possibility of motion to actually being in motion, right? in the same respect you can't be both you have to be one or the other therefore nothing can move itself something moves something else mm-hmm. to go from one to the other so simply put if there is motion in the in the universe there has to be a first mover right there cannot be by by what we see the same object being in motion and not emotion something else has to do it so what did it at the beginning the first mover is what we call god right i think the same argument can be used for causality same thing right there's a first cause mm-hmm. because you cannot go from all right nothing is the efficient cause of itself by definition it can't be right right so if a is the efficient cause of b then if a is absent then B is absent. So if we have all that we have and it's ordered around causality, what is the first cause that started the whole thing? And of course, we would posit that there has to be God who is a first cause, which if everything needs something to move it, or in this case to cause it, then this God is extraordinarily different than everything else because he is the uncaused cause, right?
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, right, right. The same is possibility and necessity, right? And, and the bottom line is this. If, if you can be either two things, you can either be, again, because these are, these are absolutes, you're either contingent, right, which means you're dependent, or you're necessary, that you don't depend on anything at all. But we know from our experience, everything is dependent on something else, right? Even in the universe, there's nothing, even in astronomy, biology, everything is dependent on something else. So if you say the only thing we can see is that which is contingent, dependent on something else, right? But if that's the case, then you again, you reduce yourself to say, if everything is contingent, and it's impossible for a contingent being always to exist right therefore if there was a time when there was nothing then how it what's the what's the necessary being that would have created it so again it's it's all variations of the same idea right yeah so right. it
0: seems like those first three are mm-hmm. really similar to each other it's the um the uh, argument from motion, from causality and from necessity, right. And they're all based on uh, things don't just spontaneously pff,
1: occur, appear, exist. they all have to start somewhere. unless, unless you're willing to posit that everything that exists is the God, is God. Okay? So that's pantheism, right? So matter is eternal. But in fact, matter is not eternal, (laughs) right? Energy is eternal, but in fact, energy is not eternal. (laughs) Yeah. Right? And the more science peels it away, the more pantheism seems unbelievable for that very reason. Right. Yes. So if everything is not God, then there is a God that caused everything (laughs) else. Yes. Right? So Uh, even
0: with these three arguments, even with something like, let's say, uh, people who say, no, no, everything started with the Big Bang. Well, there still had to be something there to
1: bang <laughs> before yes. the Big Bang, right? Right, right, right. And you have one or two possibilities: that which existed prior to the Big Bang, right, is itself God, or there is a God who created it. But mm-hmm. if it's itself God, then we're back to pantheism. Right. So this microphone is is part of is God. Which is which I mean <laughs> I, I need say nothing more. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. And that, so then the fourth argument is gradation. It's the argument of gradation, right? Okay, so what does that mean? So in our experience, right, you have hot and hotter, you have cold and colder, you have mm-hmm. tall and taller. Things are in proportion to other things, how much they resemble the other thing. All right? And that's basically life, you know, bigger, smaller, fatter, skinnier. I shouldn't have said fatter and skinnier, but you know how I mean, basically.
0: (laughs) Good and better.
1: Yes. Good and better. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. But there is nothing that is, right? If there is nothing which is the most of something,
2: because
1: there's always a proportion, then one could argue if you talk about good, then there could be nothing that is actually good. But if there's nothing that is actually good, then how do you explain the proportionality within our own experience of people who are good, some who are better, some are even better than that? So it posits that there has to be something that is the cause, right? The the standard, if I may, the -hmm. beginning against which everything is judged. Yeah. So we talked about the one truth. Beauty and goodness. In our own experience, right? We have gradations of that. But what we're positing is that they are paths to go to the One who is the fullness of truth, fullness of beauty, fullness of goodness, because He is God,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And the whole purpose of discipleship is to become, with His grace, more like God, to become more good and more truthful and and more knowledgeable and anyway. And then, of course, the the last is is the is um, is design. And the way I understand design, and maybe I'm not understanding this correctly, but I, I believe I am, is that um, natural bodies, all the things that exist, act because they have ends to them, right? They're moving in a certain direction, and they have a purpose, an end to it. And mm-hmm. either you learn the end, right, of yourself, or you're being directed by someone towards that end. And the positive is most natural beings lack the knowledge, all right, towards their end. So the argument is there has to be some, someone, all right, who is intelligent, who is moving everything to its end. Otherwise, there would not be the possibility of starting somewhere with the knowledge to be able to do that. So now, all these arguments are cosmological. I would argue, now, now if this is going out on the limb, could you imagine? I would argue that it's existential, it's the lived experience of people that is more compelling in the 21st century. Precisely to raise the question in the first place. Yeah. Because there isn't the philosophical background. And, and I would think most young people who hear this not coming from a religious background will say it's kind of quaint, it's trickery, it's sophistry, it sounds nice. But I'm not sure it's going to move any hearts to believe that there is a God and quite frankly, even if they do believe there is a God, I'm not sure it's going to move their hearts to believe in the God that we believe is the only true God, which is God revealed in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay. So is there another path to demonstrate gods? What do you think, Steve?
0: I think, um, yes. Yes. So for example, um, even without getting into philosophical uh, debates, mm-hmm. um You can see if you look, uh, you can see God in um, through beauty, through goodness. Oh, so Mm -hmm. like uh, like Mother uh, Teresa, for example, Mm -hmm. for me, I don't see how someone could look at her life and work Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. say there is no God, because Mm -hmm. I I mean, you would have to be a really dug in, committed, uh, embittered (laughs) atheist like Christopher Hitchens. Uh, in, in oh, I was—you know—I was going to you know, I was
1: gonna ask you. What is the gentleman's name again? Who opposed yeah,
0: Christopher? Christopher Hitchens. Christopher. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. To to look at her and say, nope, something sinister is at work there. It's mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not of God or okay.
1: Yeah, okay. go ahead. So now, now the fire—the fire the is burning. Okay. So let's get to the bottom of this. <laughs> okay. This gentleman never met him. Don't know him. I've heard of him, is living an existential paradox. He's living an existential lie, point blank. I stumbled on this, of all people, Hans Kung, in one of his texts when I was in the seminary. And it struck me so profoundly that it has it, it it kind of shaped my thinking, and has continued to shape my thinking for all these fifty some forty some odd years since I, I learned it. And he uses different terminology. I'm going to use my own. So this is vintage Kajano for, for whatever it's worth. Right. <laughs> you can talk a story till the cows come home. We all can. We could convince ourselves of whatever we like. But the way you act and how you act and what you do actually tells me what you truly believe, what you truly hold, what you truly think. Okay? And if that's the case, then the fundamental problem atheists have is that they claim there is no God but they act as if there is a god now they need to explain to me why is there this disconnect and if do we have time before our break to get into
0: this you, you know what actually let's take a break because that's a good okay. teaser if you mm-hmm. want to find out what bishop Kajano is talking about here stay tuned um and we'll get into it more after the break this is let me be frank on the veritas catholic network be right back
2: the number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org
0: All right, welcome back to let me be frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, Excellency, before you lose momentum. All right. Uh, so, yes. All right. Yes. How okay. can you how can you uh, express that there is no god but live as if there is a god?
1: Right. Well, and just as a, as a a, um, uh, 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 a reminder to everyone, living existential lies is not just among atheists; it's also among theists, and it's also mm-hmm. among Christians. Right, everyone is capable of doing it, and sometimes we do. That's why we that's why we sin. We claim one thing and we live another. Tell me what how you live, and I will tell you what you really believe, mm-hmm. okay? So this is not in any way shape or form to pass a you know a, a personal judgment on those who do not believe there's a God. But I'm going to challenge them to ask themselves, are they actually lying to themselves because of the way they actually live their life? And what is all that about? It's about meaning, meaning. We've talked about this. Let's revisit it. I do not believe that human life can be lived if a person has come to the conclusion that there is absolutely no meaning of ultimate import. Sadly, there are those who face this very dark place where they come to the conclusion that there's nothing worth living for and those individuals desperately need our help, right? it's becoming more and more the norm. I had a very dear friend of mine who called me uh, recently and within the school where his child goes, his teenager, there have been a number of suicides over the last few years. It's terrible, terrible. But you see, for those who make it a cause, so those people, for example, those who are or, 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 or in that dark place, it's our Christian obligation If we are aware in any way, shape, or form, any signs, we have to reach out to these people because we have to help them to understand that there is hope and that there is meaning. And our love for them, if that alone is what they hold on to, they have to hold on to something, okay? Yes. We're talking about a philosophical, uh, 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 a more theological approach. If you say calmly, drinking your latte, I don't believe there's a God. My question to you would be, then why did you get out of bed? Why do you bother? Their response back could be, well, because I believe that I can make some difference. And again, that's that is not being intellectually honest. Because if my difference makes a difference today and is swept away in the in the uh in the pile of history tomorrow, it's really not a difference. Right. It's not a lasting difference. It's not what's an the eternal point? difference. And what's the point? Yes. But, but you have a whole history of individuals who have made it their business, like this gentleman about Mother Teresa, who make it a cause, celeb. They say, well, no, 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 it can't be because this is – and the passion and the zeal and the drive and the books and the articles and the lectures and the, the videos. And, and you say to yourself, but then why bother? Yeah. yeah. Why bother? Because in the end, if you, if you believe there isn't one, then whether there is or isn't, to you it makes no difference. And if I'm delusional that I believe it is that there is a God, well, why would I change my mind? Because in the end, we're all going to nothing. Yep. But yep. why is that happen? See, so it can happen. People do. it. But why does it happen? Because of who we are. Because of how we are created. Because how we're wired. In biblical terminology, we've said over and over again, we're made in the image and likeness of God. That means that everything about us is a mirror into not just that God is, but who God is. I don't have to look to the cosmos for proof. Mm -hmm. I could look myself in the mirror. And for all the times that's horrifying in the morning to look at the mirror. I look at the mirror and I'm looking at an imperfect yet blessed reflection of who God is. And I have a deep burning desire to make a lasting difference, as you do, as all people do. That my in my estimation, is an existential, perhaps the word proof is not the right word, is an existential demonstration that it is more than reasonable to believe that the first mover, first cause, first designer, right, is here because everything about me reveals him. Yes. God. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that that's more compelling too. Maybe it's only because I'm not a philosopher, so I can't really do the Aquinas' five ways. But for me, it was always um, one of two things. And one is exactly what I think you're talking about, Excellency. All human beings have this innate desire or an emptiness that needs to be filled. And we fill it with power or money or fame or sex or whatever it is, but really that yearning of the heart is, uh, as Aquinas, I mean, not Aquinas, as Augustine said, right? Our hearts mm-hmm. are restless until they rest in thee. we are It's that search for God. And because we all have that in us, that's kind of, to me, that's a proof that he's there. He put that in us because he wants Correct. us to come back to him.
1: Yeah, see, and, and, and if I may just tweak that a bit, and in, if that's how i'm made and i go to a dark place in my life because i don't believe that that's the case and i can a- actualize that then that is where a person needs to really be reached to, into involved and accompanied and supported but if a person intellectually makes it a cause to say well i don't believe there's a god the very intellectual cause is the contradiction,
2: Hmm.
1: okay? If I give up, that's a deep, dark place to be, right? And the only time God's grace can do that is by people reaching out to them. So those individuals need our love and care. But for those who are intellectuals and make it a cause to convince others of the intellectual position, the very passion and zeal that you're talking about is, in my estimation, the proof, that they have come to the wrong conclusion, right? So there's two separate categories here. And and we are the, the, the bridge to both because in some sense, for those who are despairing, their despair, the only antidote is love because God is present. So if they're looking for the presence of God, it's my love and your love for them to the extent that we can. And this tragedy in the modern world is that many times we don't see the signs. We don't even know what the signs are when people are falling into despair, right, right or hopelessness. That's that's a whole different topic that we have to talk about. But it's the intellectuals who make it a cause Then I think they're being intellectually dishonest.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. The, uh, the other... Um... Non well, I guess this is touches on philosophy, but the other non uh intellectual argument that I like to make mm-hmm. uh for the for the existence of God is the one that I got from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, how he starts mm-hmm. it off and saying that we all have a natural law that's built into us and we all appeal to, you know, this idea of this is fair and this is not fair, or you can't cheat, or you shouldn't lie. Where does that natural law come from? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's an excellent question. And There's some people who could say, well, that's just conventionality. That's how humans have made um, society function. It keeps order out of chaos. But one could argue, could not a society be built on steal as much as you can, or survival of the fittest, mm-hmm. um, or whatever else. And mm-hmm. to a certain extent, as violence grows in our society, as people becoming more, just look at the drug cartels in Mexico. That's survival of the thinnest. There's no respect for life, yeah. and people rebel at it. So the question, like you point to, is, as CS Lewis will say, you rebel because it's it's not what is to be. Yes. And everything that is to be is by design. Let's go back to, to the yes. the proofs. Yes. Right to its end. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I think in the end, we are suffering in our world from a dramatic loss of philosophical study that is not necessarily going to bring someone to Christian faith, but it raises questions that people begin to ponder and reflect on that when the word of revelation comes, the invitation of faith, it's not coming to a mind and a heart that has not already begun to ask ultimate questions. Right. But if you're not asking the questions, then in a sense, when it comes, the person may not even recognize it's coming.
0: Right, yeah. So with the drug cartel example, and people say, well, that's wrong based on whose standard and where Uh, did that
1: standard come from? Right. that's what you're, and- Exactly, right. And there's universal agreement that it's right. Except for the perpetrators who are benefiting from it, but yeah, everyone right. else would say this. This cannot be right. Yeah. Right.
0: The the um the lack of introspection and reflection, excellency. That is a really good point and such a uh, um important point today, especially in our, our world of social media and constant scrolling through the phones and not really oh yeah, taking gosh. time to sit and think about things. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Okay. Because for example, if, if somebody studying science and I'm just thinking about this, cause my son is studying science, <clears throat> somebody studying science and they look at the intricacy and the incredible detail of the systems of the human body, for example, <clears throat> even down to the microscopic level, <clears throat> Just if you just sit back and think about how complex that is, you can't just say, "Oh, that's just random science." It mm-hmm. there there can only be a, a creator and a designer
1: of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And it, to 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 the extent that you don't ask the question, you don't come up with the answer. Yeah, right. Right? So, in in many ways, we've talked about theology being the handmade of all sciences. And philosophy is the handmade to theology. We talk about nature and grace. That's philosophy and theology. In some way, shape or form, it is inescapable that we will ask ultimate questions simply because we are contingent beings. I will never forget. I I remember this as if it was yesterday. I remember as if it was yesterday. When I was a boy, I couldn't tell you how old I was. I don't know, three, four, five. I don't remember. But I do remember asking my mother whether she was going to die. And I remember my mother initially just was shocked by the question. And then her response was to just take me in her arms and she hugged me. Right. And I actually don't remember what she said, but I do remember the sense of security. Because I, I, for the first time in my life that I remember, I asked an ultimate question. It's inescapable. Every yeah. child asks it. Every person asks it right? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What's all of this about? What happens after I die? I mean, it's inescapable. Okay. And so let's go back to the argument of the theist and the atheist. If you honestly say, I came from a mistake or evolution, I'm really going nowhere. There will be no life after death. But i'm going to get up and write a book and make a lecture about how all of this is just the fact it it doesn't add up which is different than a person who may existentially say all those answers and then what do i have left Mm -hmm. and that's where i think we we as a society have to give real thought if i may your point about the distraction of phones and all the rest Um, I'm not a conspiracist at all, but I do think that in society, there is material gain to keep people distracted. Companies make money by keeping us distracted. And I'm not suggesting there's like this great cosmic, malevolent, you know, plan ahead. But whether they realize it or not, and they may not realize it, and maybe they do, but I presume they don't, they are creating a situation where these questions are not asked until there's a crisis, and then you don't have the capability to answer it. Yeah, that leads to disasters.
0: Yeah, terrible tragedies. Um, how how about how about this, Excellency? How, how would you answer? Um, the question, uh, which is frequent, but people say, well, so if God exists, then why do bad things happen in
1: the world, particularly to good people? Yeah, it, it, it's that's, gosh, my question. That's a question as old as humanity. And it is, in some sense, it is asked in part because we find it extraordinarily hard to comprehend that God allows us in his image and likeness to share in his prerogatives, right? That we have real freedom, as God does. That we can make choices that make a difference. And our choices have consequences. Mm-hmm. And therefore, when we make choices that for the good, we reap the benefit, and when we make choices for that which is not good, we reap the consequences. But you can't love You can't actually be in the image and likeness of God if you don't have true freedom to choose the good. You have to be able to love freely. That is who God is. He wasn't compelled to love. He freely loves perfectly, infinitely, eternally, but it's free and that's why we are who we are. And to think that we're that much like God is scary. But if we're that much like God and we pervert what that which God wants us to do, that's the cause of much of the evil that we have around us. It's our sin. But that's not God's fault. It's our fault. Right? Right? The interesting thing, though, of this, I must confess, is that in Revelation, so now for those who believe in a God, right, there are different religions that have revealed to some extent who God is and that unfortunately is used by those who say there is no god as a claim that well if there was a god how come all of you people get on can't get on the same page <laughs> right and so we just ended the week for Christian unity right which was started right in fact it's interesting in the northern hemisphere it's celebrated now, right, in January. In the Southern Hemisphere, it's celebrated around Pentecost. It's interesting, oh, right? Okay. Okay. It's eight days, right? And it's almost, it started, the first one actually was in 1908. The church really didn't join until uh, Pope St. John Twenty Third, in it. But it really involves all Christians, from what I can gather, just about every Christian. So so the question of that, thats a, that's a whole podcast we have to do. In many ways, teaching of Lumen Gentium and all the rest, salvation outside the church. Yes, right. But but just taking a step back, it's almost as if um, the religious traditions have highlighted certain aspects of the truth, beauty, and goodness of God. And those elements, to the extent that they're authentic, are valuable, and therefore allows interreligious dialogue. With the hope that the dialogue doesn't change the dialogue deepens our understanding and we pray that there could be one day a greater understanding a greater rapport i'm not sure there would be complete unity but they would but among christians the subset among christians okay that is something that we need to make of tremendous importance Pope Francis has made it of tremendous importance, right? Ecumenism, Mm -hmm. right? Which is the dialogue among Christians because it does, but the fact that we are still divided buttresses the argument of those who say that even if there isn't a God, or I'm sorry, even if there is a God, it can't be yours because you, you people can't get your act together. Yeah. Right. Right. Have you ever heard that? Oh, yeah. Right. 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 And when we talk about seeking Christian unity, we have to remember that there's different aspects. All right. So there is the question of faith and morals. There's the question of the polity of the church, how the church is structured and governed. And then there is the question, all right, of charity and the acts of charity and the things we do in the world. And we as Catholic Christians, I right, believe, that in the deposit of faith in the magisterium created through the apostles to guarantee the deposit of faith in its authenticity, right, its interpretation. In the question of faith and morals, and in the question of polity, we believe that these, this, is, this is divinely revealed for us. Okay. So it's not subject to compromise in the sense of we'll give up this if you give up that, and we'll consider ourselves unified. Yeah. That's what makes ecumenism such a, a very um, difficult, may not be the right word. It, it's an intensive um, enterprise because it even challenges us ourselves as, as Catholics in dialogue with the Orthodox or with the Anglicans or with our Protestant brothers and sisters or evangelicals, whatever. It forces us to ever be purer in what we know we believe because many times we think we believe what the church believes. We actually don't believe what the church believes. We just believe what we think the church believes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? To purify what we really do hold as Catholics, yeah, as Catholic Christians, right? Yeah. Right.
0: Which I guess even uh, makes it even more necessary to go back to the basics. Okay. Look here this is God, this is the nature of God, this is what he revealed to us, this is what he's done to us, and kind of mm-hmm. build from mm-hmm. there.
1: Yeah, in the end, I think it's it's interesting. I have, I have this hypothesis in my mind, which probably is going to get me into trouble, but <laughs> truth, beauty, and goodness can be the path where among Christians there can be true ecumenical dialogue right? And we, we always start and end with truth. But, but, but there are two other transcendentals. So for example, let's start with goodness. There is no reason on earth that all Christians of every church and ecclesial community, there's not a Christian who should not be seeking a virtuous life and seek to live that virtuous life in acts of charity and mercy, the spiritual and corporal works of mercy, however you want to designate them. If that's the case, there is no reason on earth why Christians could not of all types be shoulder to shoulder in the works of goodness right now. Yes. Recognizing that truth and beauty are areas we still need to talk about and dialogue. Right? And I think a lot of ecumenical work has done that. But that, it's in and of itself, is extremely important. Because part of what is holding the divisions among Christians, and therefore our inability to give a unified voice to the world that God is and who God is, is because we've stereotyped each other. We've mm-hmm. characterized each other. we caricaturized each other. Yes. Right? But even beauty, beauty has tremendous potential. Now, you may say, well, what are you talking about? Well, if you look in beauty as not just art, architecture, pilgrimage, music, but if you look at beauty as prayer, but prayer that may not be sacramental, but it's still prayer. It's still common prayer because it lifts up to us. The the beauty of being in the heart, engaging the heart in the presence of God, I think that's part of the motivation why Francis, for example, Pope Francis, said that the opening of the synod is going to have an ecumenical prayer service. I think that's the second path. Its beauty is when you bring pe- people together and give them an experience of prayer and expose them to the the beautiful traditions, even within the church. When, we, when I go to some of the, the even in the sacraments, in celebration of mass, but even in the paraliturgical events, you know, of our Eastern Catholics, they're beautiful. Something I've never experienced before. And I pray in a different way. Mm-hmm. So that's a second piece to this puzzle where we could work together, recognizing our sacramental differences. But prayer is not just the sacraments. While other work goes on theologically, which is the, the place of truth, right? Yeah. So I hold out hope that there's we can still continue to make progress, um, even though the road is still going to be a long one, for the very question of trying to show the world that there is a God, and we, in fact, believe that he has revealed himself fully, right, in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Amen. Okay, let's uh, let's take our second break, Excellency, and come back uh, with a listener question. This Excellent. is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed-up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350
2: AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there.
0: Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Um, Excellency, you know what? Actually, I just thought, uh, before we get to the question, so uh, I just wanted to tell this story. I don't know what the point is, but I once worked with a guy who was the self-proclaimed atheist in the office. Mm -hmm. And I was known to be the Christian in the office. Mm -hmm. And one day he walked into the room where a a bunch of us were sitting Mm -hmm. and just kind of loudly, I I don't know if I was sensitive, but I felt like he was pointing it towards me, but just kind of loudly he said, you know, um, I believe that the, uh, the earth was populated by aliens who came from another planet. And they landed their spacecraft on this mountain. And then, you know, and that's how the human race began thousands of years ago. And then he just stopped. And I swear he just looked at me. <laughs> and so I looked. But well, you had that type of face. Yeah, face. right. Exactly. <laughs> but so I, I you know, I, I looked at him and I said, so Rob, honestly, how is what you just said more plausible or believable than what I believe that we are created by God. Like, is my belief actually crazier than your belief? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I didn't...
1: Uh, and, and his response?
0: He he just kind of... Smi- he gave me a big smile,
1: mm-hmm.
0: took a sip of his coffee and left. Yeah, I had oh, no idea what to make of it. Well, he
1: was goading you. I don't think... Yeah. You are, he couldn't possibly believe <laughs> that.
0: I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I mean, come on.
1: <laughs> uh, Please... Yeah. Okay, so what's okay. our question?
0: So here's the question. It says, uh, Bishop Frank, mm-hmm. will we continue praying the prayer to St. Michael after every Mass?
1: Oh, that's easy. The answer is yes. <laughs> um, and the reason is because the cause for it to come up in the first place has not changed. See, I think people have begun to... to um, They're convoluting the prayer of St. Michael with COVID and the pandemic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But they are totally unrelated since the prayer of St. Michael started a year before there even was a pandemic. And the reason we have to keep praying for the, the we have to pray for the protection of St. Michael is because, as I've said many times, where there is division, where there is deception, where there is distraction, there is the presence of the evil one. hmm And in our church, I see lots of division and distraction, and at times, even deception. So if he's in our midst, we have to kick him out. Yes. And the only way we can kick him out is through the intercession. It's through prayer. It's through St. Michael. And of course, the intercession of Our Lady to do that. And that is not a one-time deal for the church. That is in my life, that's in your life, that's in our questioner's life, because it's like a dog with a bone. The evil one keeps coming back. He keeps looking. He keeps seeking. He keeps looking for a crack. We have to keep praying. Yeah. We have to keep praying.
0: I think it's awesome that uh, I guess it was several years ago when, when you instituted that, Excellency. Mm-hmm. I, most people uh, had to pick up the book and read it. And now people just know it by heart. Oh, yeah. The kids are great. The kids love it.
1: They say it nice and loud. It was 2018. Wow. So is that five years? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's five years. It's, mm-hmm. it's
0: And you know what? Excellency, it occurs to me. It's a really important prayer for us to say in our families, too.
1: Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. So, and remember, in the older form of the Mass, before we had the renewal, it was at the end of every Mass. It's not new. Yeah. No, it's not new. It's great. So if
0: you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in on social media, or you can email questions at VeritasCatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so is Veritas Catholic Network. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries here in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, thanks again for a Thank great you. week.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, would you please give us your blessing before we start? Yes, of course. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for having revealed your presence to us through the use of our reason, but most especially in your Son, Jesus. You have helped us to understand that you live in our midst as a loving God. And so we give you thanks and praise, and we ask that your spirit bless and guide us and all who have listened to our conversation and all those whom they love. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, my friend, I'll see you soon. Thanks, Excellency.